Or you can take your Bibles and open them to 1 Peter chapter 4, which is where we are returning this week. 1 Peter chapter 4. And here we are, New Year. The New Year is upon us once again. 2013 sounds very futuristic. I'm sure for at least a month you'll be still writing 2012 on your checks and you'll have to fix it. You know what I'm talking about? This time each year is when people make their resolutions, things they want to change about themselves or their lives. Last year, if you were, if you were here, you remember that New Year's Day landed on a Sunday. So I actually preached an entire sermon on resolutions and biblical resolutions. I'm not going to do that today, but I'm always amused by the lists that come out every year of people's resolutions. See all these top ten lists, like the top ten resolutions of 2013. Most of them are to be expected, lose weight, get out of debt, spend more time with the family. There's one resolution that, that shows up on seemingly every top ten list that is a little more surprising, a little less expected, and that is to volunteer more. I see that on all the lists. Everyone seems to be resolving, somewhere in their top ten, to spend more time volunteering. It's not bad, of course. It's just interesting that people would make that resolution. Why do people feel the need to volunteer? Normally, if you present someone with the proposition to work really hard at something and not get paid for it, they would say, no way. Yet that's exactly what millions of people seem to do every year. They, they volunteer. So what drives people to volunteer? Some people volunteer out of obligation. Most Mormons, when they turn 18, they volunteer to go on a missions trip for upwards of two years. I had a couple of friends in high school who did this. And although they weren't quite forced, they didn't admit to simply feeling obliged. They were felt obligated. It was part of the religion, and so they volunteered. And once upon a time, I volunteered out of obligation. It wasn't a Mormon mission trip, but in college, I was in a fraternity, and all of the fraternities participated in philanthropy events. And so one time we were raising money for some cause, which I don't even remember, which shows you how much I really cared at the time. I don't remember what the cause was, but we all volunteered our time working the concession stands at a couple of Oakland Raiders games. So once upon a time, I was serving up hot dogs and working the, the register for the Raiders. Now, the money we made all went to this cause, but why did we do it? Well, I can tell you one thing for sure. It wasn't because we really wanted to help whatever cause we were helping. Now, we were this, just there because we were obligated. We, we felt obligated to be there. And, and for many people, they volunteer for the same reason. They're, they're part of some organization, and they're obliged to show up at some event and volunteer their time, or else they risk lose, looking bad. Somewhere relatedly, I see people volunteering for social purposes. There's many great volunteer organizations out there, like the Rotary Club, Kiwanis, stuff like that. Those organizations founded on great principles of serving others. But for many today, these are merely vehicles for social networking. Guys join these clubs not because they're really looking to serve, but because they want to expand their business, meet new people, network. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with wanting to expand your business and, and network. But for some, it, the social aspect is what's really driving the, their service. Still, others have hopefully better motivation when it comes to volunteering. For some, they give their time out of, out of a real sense of gratitude. They just look at, at all that they have and compared to others, comparison to others, and, and they feel thankful and they want to give back. So they volunteer. Every Thanksgiving, hundreds of people volunteer to help prepare and serve food down at Skid Row in Los Angeles every Thanksgiving morning. 
It's obviously not going to solve all the problems of homelessness, but it's a good way to to serve, to volunteer. Some serve others out of a true altruism, a, a true concern to help those in need, whether it's the tsunami in Japan or Hurricane Sandy. Some people, when a disaster strikes, will, will volunteer. They'll give so much of their time and their resources to help people who've just lost everything. And I think that's volunteering at its finest. Now, this volunteerism can be found in Christianity as well. This idea of volunteer, voluntarily giving yourself, your time to others, to serve others. For Christians, though, volunteering or serving, it's more than just a chore. It's more than just a way to relieve some guilt. It's more than just an obligation. It's more than even a way to show thanksgiving. Serving others for Christians, it's actually part of our identity, of who we are as Christians. Part of our very definition as Christians, as followers of Christ, is serving others. When you come to Christ, you become part of his body, and then each member, each body part, has, has a function, a purpose, a role, and you're called to, to play your part and to serve others. Now, why? So that the entire body might function and grow to be like Christ. Now, how could, how could a body grow if the heart did not pump blood, or if the eyes didn't see, if the fingers didn't move, and so on? How could the body of Christ function and grow if each individual member did not do their part. And we serve that we all might grow into Christ's image. And this in itself is pleasing to the Lord. And this is how we imitate the Lord. Remember what Christ taught? He said, giving is better than receiving and serving others is it's better than being served. That's in fact one of the reasons he came, Mark 10.45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve the lost by giving his time, his energy, even even his life, the ultimate gift, the ultimate service. And we are to do the same. As his followers, we are to likewise even lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 3.16 We know love by this, that, that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Serving others. It's such a vital aspect of the Christian life. It's part of our identity. And we need to know what Scripture has to say about this topic. And starting last week, this has been our topic from 1 Peter chapter 4, serving others. We've been camping out in 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11 for, for weeks now, where Peter is talking about how God wants us to live in light of the end. And he details three activities, to be exact, three duties that we are to occupy ourselves with in light of the nearness of the end, whether that comes by death or Christ's return. And these three activities are prayer, love, and service. Prayer from verse 7 and, and love from verses 8 and 9, we covered several weeks ago now. And last week we started to finish up this, this third one, service, from verses 10 and 11. And that's where we are today. We're just looking at verses 10 and 11 in 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to finish off this section. So while we begin by, by reading these verses, we'll just read verses 10 and 11 now of 1 Peter chapter 4 on service. Look at verse 10. He says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, 
is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Last time, if you were here, you recall that we only made it through verse 10. And still, we didn't have time to cover everything. That's because this verse is so jam-packed with teaching when you stop and look. Peter's topic is spiritual gifts, and he gives some concise yet surprisingly thorough instructions on the matter, all just in verse 10. And from verse 10 last week, we found five things that all of you need to know about spiritual gifts. You remember them? Quick recap, number one, every believer has a gift. God has given every true believer a special grace gift, a divine enablement. No exceptions. You you may have one, you may have more than one. But if you are truly saved, truly a believer, truly truly a part of the body of Christ, you have a special spiritual gift from God. No exceptions. Number two, the second thing you all need to know about Spiritual gifts. You cannot choose your gift. God chooses for you. It's a gift. You simply receive, but he doesn't get it wrong. God never gets it wrong. You just need to discern your gifting and serve. Number three, your gift comes with a purpose. And number four, that purpose is to serve others. God did not give you a special gift so that you could serve yourself with it or that you could do nothing with it. He gifted you so that you could be a part of the body and play your function to to help the body grow, to be serving one another, and you can't ignore that or neglect that. You need to be serving with your gift. And then lastly, number five, serving others with your gift is a matter of faithfulness to God. God's grace gift to you, it's a stewardship, and he demands you serve with it, you put it to good use, Your faithfulness as a steward is on the line, and he will check to see how faithful you have become or been in your life. So that's where we ended last week. And you may remember we didn't even get to verse 11, and there were still a couple of really important questions we also didn't get a chance to cover. And we're talking about spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts are important, but but what are they? Can we get a list of the spiritual gifts at least or, or study some of them? We didn't have time for that last week. Also, if if it's so important to be serving with your spiritual gifts, how does someone find out which one they have? That's important too, but we also didn't have time to cover that last week. And as you can guess, since these are so important, we're going to be covering them this morning. And as we finish up 1 Peter 4.11 and this section on service. So just to keep things nice and simple, today I want to answer for you Two more critical questions about spiritual gifts. That's it. Nice and easy. I want to answer for you two more critical questions about spiritual gifts coming from 1 Peter 4.11. Without further ado, here's the first question which we need to answer. Simply this. What are the spiritual gifts? What are they? This is one of the most obvious and important questions from last week that we just didn't have time for. But look again at verse 11. We're all going to be in verse 11 today. Let's read it one more time. He writes, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God, and whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, 
so that in all things God might be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. And notice, Peter here gives a very simple two-part description of the spiritual gifts. There's two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. There's two categories. He's not bothering with going into the details. Just like with love and prayer before, he's keeping it short, sweet, to the point. And here he's just giving us the big picture categories of spiritual gifts, not the detailed listings. That being said, though, we are interested in some more details. So can we can we get some more details from Scripture? Is there anywhere we can go to find a more detailed list of the spiritual gifts? And the answer is yes. In fact, the Bible has five lists of spiritual gifts. And we will be well served right now to simply read through these lists and acquaint ourselves with the many spiritual gifts that they mention. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to acquaint ourselves with a little survey to get you familiar with all the different spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the Bible. Then later we'll, we'll take a few and go into more detail. I just want to get you familiar with these. So, so turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We, we were there before for scripture reading. And we'll go one more time to 1 Corinthians 12. This chapter is just jam-packed with teaching on spiritual gifts. It's chapters 12 through 14, Paul's main topic in this letter. We learn a lot here, and we also find two of the five lists of spiritual gifts. Some overlap, but a lot of new ones mentioned. So let's read a couple of these and just get you familiar with some of the gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, let's read 7 through 11. He says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, for the common good. That's how these gifts are described. They're manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. Everyone has one, like we learned last time. Now, verse 8, some specifics. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. And to another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. So from this passage, we already see several spiritual gifts. He mentions Wisdom, faith, and knowledge. And keep in mind, that's not talking about ordinary wisdom, faith, and knowledge that anybody could have. These are special. These are different. Talk about them later. But there's also, he mentions healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. You might be thinking, like, wow, that's a lot. What, what is he talking about? Again, we'll save the details for later. We will come back, but I just want to give you the exposure to all the lists first. So this is what he mentions. We have a good handful already right here. But I want us to keep reading the list first. We'll do details later. So now, in the same chapter, you don't have to go anywhere, just jump down to verse 28. List number 2. 1 Corinthians 12, 28-30. Here he says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Then, miracles. 
then gifts of healings, helps, the administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? And all do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. So again, we have more listed. Some of them are new, some of them are repeats in this passage. He mentions first the gifts of apostles, prophets, and teachers. And these are spiritual gifts that double as spiritual roles. God gifted some men like like Paul to be an apostle. And he, he had the office of apostleship, but it doubled as a spiritual gift. And he also had many other spiritual gifts accompanying that as well. We also have listed here in 1 Corinthians 12 the gift of miracles, healings, helps, administration, tongues, and interpretation. Some new ones, some others that have been repeated from before. So we're adding to our list. This list is expanding in the spiritual gifts mentioned in Scripture. Again, details to follow, but this is list number two. Let's go to list number three now. And I'm giving you these in order of when they were written in Scripture. So the first one, one of the earlier books was 1 Corinthians. Next, turn, turn backwards to Romans chapter 12. We had 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now Romans chapter 12, where Paul, again, gives us a little more info on spiritual gifts. Romans 12, and we'll read verses 6 through 8. He says, Since we have gifts that differ... According to the grace given to us, each one is to exercise them accordingly. Picked up on that verse last time. We all have gifts. They're different according to the grace given to us. We can't choose. We can't decide just how God has gifted a person. And so you are to exercise them accordingly. Whatever you have, serve. Now now comes the list. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his teaching, or in his serving rather, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Listed here were prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and then showing mercy. A bunch of new ones added to the list. A couple more, almost done. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 4, forward a handful of books to Ephesians chapter 4. This is list number 4, the fourth list in Scripture of all the different spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. One more from Paul, Ephesians 4, 11. In the context, he's talking about spiritual gifts. This is evident from verse 7, for example. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Down in verse 11, he gives a short list of some of these, of these gifts, these grace gifts that Christ gave, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. This passage is focusing on those gifts that double as offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor-teachers. 
All that's left, list number five is 1 Peter 4.11, which we already looked at. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God, and whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So those are it. Those are the five lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Like we already discovered, Peter gives us the most general list. He's not going into the details like Paul. He's giving us two broad categories, and that's that, speaking and serving. Now, we, we covered a lot. We, we talked about a lot of these gifts just in passing. Can we get a little bit more specific as to what some of these are? Because some of them sounded kind of strange. What, what do these mean? Let's do that now. Let's, let's drill down a little bit further and actually talk about and explain what some of these gifts actually are. Now, since we're in First Peter, let, let's use Peter's topics to organize our study. He, he gives two categories of spiritual gifts. Let's, let's look at those two now and some specifics. So first we have the speaking gifts. You know how he mentioned those who speak? It's the first category of gifts are the speaking gifts. So what spiritual gifts would fall into this category? What are the speaking gifts? Well, the speaking gifts are all about communicating God's revelation. God spoke in the Old Testament, and then with the formation of the church, he was speaking again through his apostles and prophets. He was giving new revelation to the church. And this revelation we now know to be the New Testament, and the speaking gifts are all about communicating this revelation, God's revelation. So I want to give you some examples of these speaking gifts. Unfortunately, we we don't have time to be exhaustive. I can't cover every single spiritual gift. Scripture mentions 18 different gifts. If you compare those lists, there's 18 mentioned. And since none of the lists are the same, a lot of people think there's even more. And we just don't have time to look at every single one. But if you want, side note here, if you want an explanation of all 18 that Scripture does mention, so what you got to do, go online, go to our website, and download the last two Sunday evening messages in the Doctrine of the Church study, because that's what we did. We went through all 18 of them, one by one by one, talked about them in detail, and explained every one with verses. Can't do that right now. For now, I just want to expose you to some of the more prominent speaking gifts. So take this one, for example, the gift of evangelism. The gift of evangelism mentioned in Ephesians 4.11. God calls and requires all believers to participate in evangelism, but he especially gifts some to really excel in this area. Evangelism is all about telling people the gospel, which we find explained in its glory in the New Testament revelation. And evangelists, they speak God's truth to people. They speak the gospel. That's what they do. It is a speaking gift. And some people are truly gifted in this area. You know, picture this. You're on an airplane. You're sitting next to that stranger. You know that voice in the back of your mind. You should share the gospel with them. But you get nervous. You get a little scared. You don't know what to say. You get flustered. You freeze up. You make excuses. You don't do it. You bail out. But not so for the one who has the gift of evangelism. God has gifted him or her to evangelize with boldness, with clarity, skillfully explaining the gospel without fear. Look, God requires all of you to share the gospel, but some people are just clearly gifted by God and they excel in that area. They've got the gift of evangelism. Another example of the speaking gifts would be the gift of teaching. 
Again, this relates to explaining or communicating God's word. The gift of teaching is the ability to understand the truth and then present it to others in such a way that they come to understand it as well. And God uses both of these gifts to grow the church, by the way. He uses the gift of evangelism to expand the breadth of the church and then uses the gift of teaching to expand or grow the depth of the church. Both are essential. And keep in mind, this gift of teaching is not the same thing as normal teaching. A person could be an excellent school teacher, but that that does not necessarily mean God has gifted them to be able to explain and exposit clearly his word. I knew a guy who, who was a great biology, biology teacher for years, but he clearly did not have the gift of teaching God's word. Again, th- these are supernatural abilities given by God, not the same as natural abilities. One more example of the speaking gifts would be the gift of exhortation. I heard about this one before, the gift of exhortation. The gift of exhortation is the ability to persuade the will of believers. Teaching, it's aimed at the mind. Exhortation is aimed at the will. You're trying to correct someone's behavior. You're trying to help them change their ways. Sometimes this exhortation comes in the form of rebuke. And some people are just extra skilled in graciously calling others to repentance and helping them turn from their sins. Other times, this exhortation comes in the form of encouragement. Some people, they're just weak in the faith. They need a hand. They need someone to come alongside of them. You throw their arm around their shoulder. Help them walk the walk. Help them run the race. They need someone with the gift of exhortation. It's such a great gift. I mean, who doesn't love an encourager? I knew a lady who would just sit at home and write letters to tons of people in the church just encouraging them in the faith, helping them run the race with a word of encouragement. It sounds small, but it goes a long way and is a good use of her gift. Some people come to church, and that's just how they are. They're thinking about others. They're in tune with others. They want to encourage and exhort others. And I'm so thankful for people like that. So these are some of the speaking gifts. And they're not for everyone. But at the same time, don't be mistaken, they're not just for pastors. It's not how it works. God has gifted many people in the church as teachers, evangelists, encouragers. Because as we learned last time, ministry is not just for pastors. Ministry is for everyone. And everyone has a part to play. Whether you're the guy up front or not, you still have your gift to serve with. Now, if you do have one of these speaking gifts, maybe you do. I don't know. If you do, Peter has a word for you, a reminder. He says back in 4.11, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. That's his reminder. And when you're sharing the gospel, when you're teaching or preaching, when you're counseling someone, you should be using and communicating God's word. God's revelation. No one cares about what you think, pop psychology, current events. It's not important. You're to be using God's word in your teaching, preaching, evangelizing, and so forth. That that's the source of your speech. It's the power behind your <coughs> excuse me, behind your speech. So speak carefully, is Peter's reminder. Speak boldly, speak powerfully, but also speak carefully. It's a humbling thought to know that God has gifted you who who speak 
to share His Word, to exposit His Word. God uses such people to direct the lives of others. And that's a profound thought. Therefore, speak carefully. And with your words, with your speaking gift, you can do great good or great harm. This is why James in 3.1 tells, he says, let not many of you become teachers as such we will incur stricter judgment. I mean, you, you do wield influence with the speaking gifts, so you better speak carefully with your speech. Make sure you're centered on, on God's revelation, God's communication. Stick to his word and you'll do well. Make sure you're speaking the utterances of God carefully. So that's the first category of spiritual gifts, the speaking gifts. There's more, but those are some of the main ones. But Peter in verse 11 lists a second category of spiritual gifts, and these are the serving gifts. The serving gifts. Whereas those who speak minister with their words, those who serve minister with their actions, and and their hands become the tools God uses to, to minister to others. So let's get a few examples of these as well. How about some serving gift example. It's not going to be exhaustive again, but just a few. Let me give you a few. One would be the gift of helps. The gift of helps. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. The gift of helps. The gift of helps is the special ability and drive to meet the needs of other people and provide them relief. And the spiritual gift very much mimics the function of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is called the helper in Scripture, and he works behind the scenes to help believers, and he's not looking for recognition. And that's a very apt description of the gift of helps. You're just working behind the scenes, ministering with your hands, trying to help other believers. You know, I know, some of you, you're terrified at the thought of going up front, standing behind the pulpit, and preaching a sermon to everyone for an hour every week. You don't, you don't like public speaking. You don't like that thought. It scares you. You know That's okay. Maybe you don't have the gift of teaching. That, that's okay. Maybe, though, you're all about helping. I mean, you're excited to show up early and clean up before church. You want to usher. You want to fill the pew cards. You want to help with sound. You want to cook and clean. You want to run the potlucks. You want to do what you can to show up on a Saturday and just fix something just because it needs to be fixed at church. Or on a personal level, you see someone at church who needs a hand and you just are driven to minister to them. You want to help. You have the gift of helps. On the surface, this gift may not seem very spiritual, very supernatural, very important. But that's not true. Like we learned during scripture reading, Paul knew that the guys up front, teachers, preachers, they would get the notoriety. That doesn't mean their gift is more important. It's not true. All gifts are needed. And like we said earlier, God has placed you exactly where he wants you. And there's nothing more special than that than to be hand-gifted and hand-placed by God. Indeed, those who minister and help behind the scenes are the real lifeblood of the church anyway. We should be thankful for them. So one example of the serving gifts is the gift of helps. Another example is the gift of showing mercy. Did you even know this was a gift? The gift of showing mercy. According to Romans 12.8, it is. The gift of showing mercy is the special ability to identify and help those hurting and suffering. And some people are just so uniquely gifted by God to really reach out and minister to others 
in their hour of greatest need. Some people are oblivious. They don't know what's going on with other people in their lives. They're not really in tune. But others are dialed in. They, they care. And when the time comes, they're ready and apt to minister to others and really show them mercy and help them with whatever they're going through. One more example here of the serving gifts would be the gift of giving. The gift of giving is the special ability to invest time and money in others in an especially self-sacrificial way. And people with this gift are enabled to be extremely generous by God. But, but look, you don't have to be rich to have the gift of giving. Even those who are poor can be gifted by God to simply be generous with whatever they have, including their time. Also, you could include here the gift of hospitality, where some have been gifted by God to really excel in providing rest for others. God leads some people to really give of their home and their resources to others to provide them comfort and encouragement and rest. Overall, though, people with the gift of giving, they've really enabled great ministry over the centuries. They've driven overseas missions, the printing of Bibles, the building of colleges and seminaries and more, all to the the glory of God. Again, all Christians are called to give, but God has just gifted some to take generosity to a whole new level. They're, They're givers. They have a gift of giving. Now, if you fit into this category overall, you've got one of the serving gifts, whichever one. Then Peter has a reminder for you back in 4.11. He says, for those who serve, to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. That's your reminder, and that's an important one. These serving gifts, they're not flashy, but you still have to remember that they're also not natural. God has supernaturally given you these abilities, and he supernaturally gives you the strength to accomplish them. Therefore, you need to be constantly relying on God for your service. You need to be driven by his power and driven for his glory. Some people fall into a trap. They're ministering with their hands, and they think, my hands did this. I did this. I'm responsible. I should get the glory. And they're in it for themselves, serving, helping, doing this or that. And that, of course, is wrong. God wants you working hard. He wants you to be a good steward, but he wants the glory. And it's his gift. So you need to be driven by his power and driven for his glory nonetheless. Don't let pride or self-reliance cloud and hinder your spiritual gifts. And that is Peter's reminder for you, for those who serve. So that's that's some of the spiritual gifts. We've We've mentioned all of them in the five lists. We have two categories, the speaking gifts, the serving gifts, and we went a little bit further into some of them. And if you're interested, take this further yourself. Go online and get those two messages or just study the scriptures and learn about all the other spiritual gifts. And that would be well for you. But for now, we still have one more question to answer about spiritual gifts. We had two this morning. The first one, what are they? We've covered that. The second question we had is this. How do you discern your gift? How do you figure out what gift you have? That's an equally important question. We've talked about a lot of the gifts, but which one is for you? And we're going to answer that now. Now, what you'll notice from 1 Peter 4.11, though, when it comes to this question is not much. That's because Peter and, and all the other New Testament writers, they don't actually tell you how to find out 
your spiritual gift? The answer is not directly in Scripture. The Bible doesn't give you a 12-step plan or a spiritual gift test to help you find out your gifting. But there is a reason for that. The Bible doesn't give you a neat little test to help you find out your spiritual gift because you don't need a test. Rather, your spiritual gifting should actually be quite obvious. It's not really a difficult thing to, to figure out. When God gives you a spiritual gift, it's not like he's trying to hide it from you. It's going to be very plain and evident to see. It's not going to be something that will be easily mistakable. Now, granted, you may be set back by ignorance or immaturity. Maybe you're a brand new Christian and you're thinking, I've never even heard of the spiritual gifts. Maybe you're just trying to figure out the basics of Christianity. You're trying to get things together in your life. You haven't thought that far ahead as to what spiritual gift you might have. And that's okay. Everyone's got to start somewhere. But once you get exposed to some teaching on the spiritual gifts, and once you start to see what they look like, it should become pretty obvious as to how you are gifted. Still, though, you may be thinking, oh, can I get some help? Can you give us some pointers? And I can't. Let me give you some some tips on finding out your spiritual gifts and some practical pointers here. And there are some that are biblical. First things first, consider your desires. That would be the first tip to discern your spiritual gift. Consider your desires. You see, when God gives you a spiritual gift, it's not going to be detached from your desires. Remember Philippians 2.13. God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, God, he changes your will and your desires when he gifts you. So here's a really simple question to ask yourself. What do you want to do? Where do you want to serve? What what drives you? What, What moves you when it comes to serving? Because your gifting is not going to be detached from your your passions, your desires. You know, if you have absolutely no desire to teach, you're probably not gifted in that area. Yet if the thought of exhorting or encouraging others really drives you, something to consider. First, therefore, consider your desires. Second, at the same time, consider your abilities. You've got to put them together. Consider your abilities. Just as God's gifting is not detached from your desires, so it is not detached from your abilities. You may be, normally you're a terrible teacher. But if God has given you the spiritual gift of teaching, when it comes to the word, you're going to do well. That's just how it works. You can't stop it because you've got a spiritual gift. Now, gifts can be matured and and improved upon. But nonetheless, if you've been gifted, you're going to excel in that area. God gives you the power and the ability. So, therefore, examine your spiritual skills. Now, are you absolutely terrible at at administration? Bookkeeping, logistics, helping the church run? Then you might not have the gift of administration. And do you find that you really excel, though, at, at hospitality, at being generous? Then you might want to look there for your spiritual gifting. You get the point. You need to secondly consider your abilities. And then third, last one, consider godly counsel. Consider godly counsel. If you're still struggling to find your gift, ask some godly men and women in your life. I speak for myself and the elders. It's not hard to help someone identify their gifting. Usually, someone else can see a lot better than we can anyway. 
And for myself, when I first became a Christian, I had no idea what my spiritual gifts were. Teaching, for example, I had no idea. I was just a new, newborn believer. As time went on, though, my, my desires and my abilities took me in that direction. But I still wanted more. I wanted more verification. So I did some teaching, and I had a ton of elders and pastors evaluate me. And their counsel helped me solidify and further identify my, my gifting. Maybe that's what you need to do. So speak to a godly man or woman in your life. You can talk to me anytime or the elders, and we'd be happy to help you discern your gift and start serving. That's something you might need to do. So consider your desires, your abilities, get some counsel, and it should be fairly clear at that point as to how God has gifted you. And then it's just time to serve and grow, and you will see yourself and others grow as you serve. Now, one last thing. Whatever your gifting is, you find it, you start serving it, with it, there's one pitfall that you need to avoid. As a final reminder here, I want to let you know, don't use your spiritual gift as an excuse not to serve in another area. You catch that? Don't use your spiritual gift as an excuse not to serve in another area. Something you got to watch out for. See, when people, they start to learn about spiritual gifting, they, they learn what theirs is, and they get excited about it. But like I said, there's a pitfall. Maybe you've got the gift of teaching you just learned and, and you're excited and you think to yourself, well, look, I can't help these guys clean up right now and, and fold up chairs and vacuum because, look, I'm a teacher. It's not my gifting. You guys do that. That would be wrong. Or maybe you've got the gift of administration and you think to yourself, you're like, I can't, I can't host these people in my home and take care of them because I don't have the gift of hospitality. Someone else needs to do that. See, that's not how it works. This is a pitfall. Here's the thing. When you look at the list of spiritual gifts in Scripture, almost all of them are required of all Christians. Uh, let me explain. Take the gift of evangelism. Even if God has not given you the gift of evangelism, does he still expect you to evangelize? All of you. What about teaching? Yes. I mean, are you a parent? Are you a husband? God expects you to teach whether or not you have the gift of teaching. How about exhortation? Now, have you read Matthew 18:15? You see your brother's sin, go and show him his fault in private. That's exhortation. That's for all believers, whether you have the gift or not. And just go down the list. Helping, showing mercy, hospitality, giving. These are all required of all believers, whether you're gifted in them or not. And so like I said, you know, find your gift and use it, but don't in turn use your gifting to justify not serving in other areas. That's not how it works. You should simply aim to serve others across the board. And this, in fact, this is why the New Testament writers, they don't spend a lot of time telling you how to find out your gift. You see, they're far more concerned that believers just find needs and meet them. That's all you have to do. That's really the big secret behind serving. Just find a need and meet it. So, look, it's good to ask, what is my spiritual gift? And, and try and figure it out. That's good. But you want a better question to be asking yourself every Sunday? What are the needs? What does the church need? What do other people need? What are the opportunities? Ask yourself that. Then just look. Find a need and fill it. Find an opportunity and, and then meet it. That, that's what it is. That's the, the bigger picture of service here. Yes, you know, you, you should specialize in, in your gifting. 
But don't be pigeonholed such that you do nothing else. And I'll just be thinking of others and serving others. And then you'll capture Peter's teaching on serving from 1 Peter 4.11. With that being said, if you're not already, you know, go back to 1 Peter 4.11. We can fittingly conclude this topic right now with uh, Peter's closing words in verse 11. You know, I, began, I began by asking why people volunteer. And why do people serve? For some, serving, it's a chore. It's a way to relieve some guilt. It's just an obligation. But for Christians, it's so much more. It's part of our identity. And also, as Peter mentions, that serving, it's a special way in which we glorify God. And that is our greatest goal and our greatest motivation. Look at the end of, of verse 11. He's talking about serving. And he says, serve, jump in the middle of the verse, so that in all things, in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we're to do all things to the glory of God. You know that. And that includes, as he says right here, serving, serving others. We know God and we glorify him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to him indeed belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. He's our Lord, Christ is. We're his followers and we should serve him, our master, accordingly. And you know how you serve him? By serving one another. That's one major way you serve your master, the Lord Christ. We're part of his body. He's the head and it should be your earnest desire to serve the head and to bring him the glory. Now that's the ultimate motivation behind all of this. That should be your drive. Not to serve yourself, not to gain notoriety, not to be noticed, but to make him noticed by all. So keep this ultimate motivation in the front of your mind at all times. And let that guide you in your serving of one another. Well, by way of a closing comment, I've got to say one last thing that, that I've done it again. You know, call me irresponsible. Call me a bad preacher. Uh, I went ahead and decided to push this topic of serving with spiritual gifts one more week. Next Sunday, we'll do one more. And that's because I know you're thinking like, okay, what's the deal? I'm going to move on already. But there's a very important topic in question that, once again, we skipped. And I know you're thinking, you're asking. And it's just my job. The question is this. What about all those Miraculous gifts. We skipped them, but we read them all in the list. And what about miracles? Prophecy, healing, tongues. What's the deal with that? Up until the past hundred years, everybody believed these gifts had passed away. And they're spiritual gifts. They're in the list we read. But since then, some people have believed they've come back, and a lot of people are buying in. So what's the deal? What do we make of these? Should we buy in? Should we be charismatics or not? As you know, it's a huge question, and I was very tempted just to skip it, move on. I just move on with First Peter. But seriously, on the side, a lot of you have actually asked me about these. And I always said one day I'll teach on it. Well, no time like the present. So next week, well, just one more week, I promise, just one more week on the topic of spiritual gifts, and then we will move on with First Peter. So if you want to learn about that, you've got to come back next Sunday, of course. But for now, though, still, for this, for this Sunday, still focus on the gifts we did talk about today, the speaking gifts 
and the serving gifts. And let this teaching resonate in your mind. Really seek to discern your own spiritual gifting. And then just get busy serving others with your gift, finding needs, meeting needs, ultimately bringing our Master the glory and honor He deserves. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God in heaven and Christ our Lord and Master, we do want to please you. Help that to be our true motivation in all things. Whether we eat, drink, whatever we do, including serving others, may it be for your glory. Really, everything we have, Lord, it's from you. Our life is from you. Our existence is from you. Our new life is from you. Our salvation, our forgiveness, our reconciliation, it's all from you. And now, Lord, also our place in the church, our role, our function, our spiritual gifting is from you. How can we take? How can we boast in these things ourselves? How can we take the honor for these ourselves? It's from you, and we return it to you, the glory that is, Lord. And so we're thankful. We thank you for how you've gifted all of us. I pray for all the people here that they would really seriously discern their gifting and just get busy serving. It's what we need. It's what every church needs. It's what the body of Christ needs. May they not neglect their gifting, myself included. May we just serve passionately and one another out of a love for you and a love for others and a desire to bring you our glorious head and much glory. So we thank you again. And blessed be your name. In your name we pray. Amen.